Welcome to St. James Bible Bites. This podcast was recorded live at our Sunday morning service. We continue exploring Paul's letter to the Philippine church. Our reflection is by the Reverend Fabian Verts, Vicar of St. James. The readings are taken from Luke 9 verses 18 to 26 and Philippians 1 from verse 12. You can watch the whole service on our Facebook page as well as our YouTube channel, both linked on our website. Uh, The first reading is Luke, uh, chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. And as Dave reminded us at the beginning of the service, uh, Paul is writing from prison. He went to preach the gospel and got thrown in prison. And really, this is him reflecting on the situation he finds himself now in. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus, Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way be ashamed 
and will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. That I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you the progress and the joy in your faith, so that through my being with you, and again your boasting in Christ, Christ Jesus, will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. To turn it on, there we go. Let's just pause and pray as we sung words in worship to you, Jesus. Open our eyes again to your amazing grace and to the power of the gospel, which Paul knew so deeply. Encourage, strengthen, guide, that we may express the fullness of your life in our families, at work, in our communities, and in this world. Amen. So we are week number two of looking at the letter to the Philippians, uh, that um, small community, possibly about 10 years old by the time Paul is writing the letter. Last week, we looked a little bit at the background because it's important to understand um, the kind of church it was, the area where uh, they were situated. So I'm not going to go too much in details, but just to remind you, um, actually, it was all about grace and it was all about the power of the gospel. Paul was guided by the Holy Spirit and landed for the first time in Europe there in Philippi and he was led to a place where people were praying. There were possibly no synagogue in uh, Philippi and so the people were praying by the river and he met there a group of ladies, a group of women led by Lydia. And the power of the gospel and God's amazing grace as he was explaining who Jesus uh, is what we've learned from the gospel, who do you say I am? Some would say I'm a teacher, some would say I'm quite a, a man of God, a prophet, but who do you say I am? And then Peter would say, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And that's the key. Paul was preaching Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, but not the one they were thinking would come and uh, kind of overrule and, uh, and, and, and put the, the, the Israelites in charge of the world, but one who suffered on the cross. That somehow that Jesus knew his purpose in life was to die. That was God's design, to die our death. And there was lots of theories of what that death means, but that's the only way God could bring reconciliation and salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. And his resurrection was the vindication that God was truly working his design through Jesus. And as Paul was explaining that, it says that God opened the heart of Lydia. That's the power of amazing grace. And maybe somehow God is opening your heart afresh to the good news of Jesus. And Lydia is transformed and takes them to her house and says, 
use my place as a place of worship. So the church was born there, and a little bit later, an extraordinary event happened. Paul was preaching. A girl was uh, taken with a, an evil spirit and then delivered. Um, but as a consequence, um, there was an uproar in the town. And Paul and Silas were put into jail. But there, again, that idea of Paul is convinced. God is above circumstance. And he was praising and singing, and there was a big earthquake, and all the doors of uh, the prison opened, and the jailer got scared. If any of the prisoners had escaped, that was the end of his life, so he was ready to kill himself, and Paul stopped him. And he says, we're all here. And this Roman jailer becomes a Christian. So here is a community who knows the power of God. They know that God opens the hearts, they know that God is above circumstances. They know that he is above even the natural world. And so we have this Christian community, the first Christian community in Europe, and Paul writes to them. It's not all perfect. Paul writes about his own affairs, their common affairs, and there are some tensions and there are some problems with opposition from outside, and we'll speak about that later. But today we are looking at this place where Paul expresses what happens to him now that he's in prison? He speaks of his own affair. And what he says that he is amazed. He is amazed by the unstoppable power of the gospel. God is at work through him, and despite the circumstances, the gospel continues to grow and grow and grow. And he wants the Christian in Philippi and us to understand that. Nothing can stop the power of the gospel in your life. God is at work in you and through you. Once you give your life to him, he promises to be with you always. And so far from stopping the message, his confinement has actually helped in two ways, we read in this passage. First, the captors and guards have been made aware that Paul is not a criminal, but has, he is in change because of proclaiming Christ. He says, it has become known throughout the whole guard, the palace guards, the word here is Praetorian, palace guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We don't know, but probably he was uh, guarded by uh, possibly elite um, uh, troops from the emperor if he was in Rome, and a lot of people think uh, he wrote the letter from Rome. They could possibly have rotated, maybe four-hour shifts. So he was able to speak to several of them. And the most, most, most probably, they would have spoken to others. And he said to a point that they're all aware why I'm here, that I am in chain for my testimony to Christ. Everyone had knowledge of his imprisonment. But then he says, not only that. They thought that putting Paul in prison would shut him up. But the message spreads right at the heart of the Romans' military power. Not only that, but the believers, and if we're in Rome, the believers in Rome, are actually strengthened and encouraged to themselves proclaim more boldly about the message of Christ. We read, the believers have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. 
Paul is amazed by God, by his grace, by his sovereignty, that despite the circumstances, he rejoices and he sees that the gospel advances both inside and outside the prison. I'm going to read something of a book that I'm, one of the books I'm currently reading, which is called Grace, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Imagine, from Max Lucado. Just before, there is here there a quote that I think will help us as we look at that grace. If you aren't amazed at grace, you can't be amazed at anything. Put the amazing back into amazing grace. Here is my lunch. We have settled for wimpy grace, he says. It politely occupies a phrase in a hymn, fits nicely in a church sign, never causes trouble or demands a response. When asked, do you believe in grace? Who could say no? This book, he says, asks a deeper question. Have you been changed by grace? Shaped by grace? Strengthened by grace? Emboldened by grace? Softened by grace? Snatched by the nap of your neck? I don't know that expression. You know that expression? It's American. Nap of your neck. There you go. Snatch. Huh? Nape. Not nap. Nape. There you go. Snatched by the nape, you're still alive, that's good. And shaken to your senses by grace. God's grace has a drenching about it, a wildness about it, a white water, ripe tide, turn your upside downness about it. Grace comes after you, it rewires you from insecure to God secure from regret riddled to better because of it, from afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace is the voice that calls up to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Paul would say, you are now in Christ. And so being in Christ no circumstances, no outside opposition, no inside struggles can ever stop God's plans to be growing and being expressed in and through you. God has given you the Holy Spirit. Your very body, it says, is not the presence, the place, the temple where God resides, where people can experience something of God's presence. So nurture the gift with a lively faith and worship him with upright lives would say Paul. A quote, grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off from this book. Or in Philippians, Paul would say, work out your salvation for God is at work in you both to will and to work for his pleasure. So let's see a little bit further what that might mean to receive grace. When grace happens, we receive not a nice compliment from God, but we receive this, a new heart. Give your heart to Christ, that's our response first, and in return, the favor, he will return the favor by giving you a new heart and putting you 
a new spirit. We might call this a spiritual heart transplant. And then he goes to a very lovely, uh, kind of sad, but actually also beautiful story of a couple who went through a dreadful reality of losing their daughter. She died after an, a ski accident, but they decided to um, donate her organs. And one of the organs was a heart, and someone was waiting for a heart, someone called um, Taylor. And Taylor um, received a heart, but um, the mother of that uh, young uh, girl, Tara, had one request, and that was her request. She wanted to hear the heart of her daughter. And so she and her husband flew from Dallas to Phoenix and went to Patricia's home to listen to Taylor's heart. The two mother embraced for a long time. Then Patricia offered Tara and Todd a stethoscope. When they listened to the healthy rhythm, whose hearts did they hear? Did they not hear the still beaten heart of their daughter? It indwells in a different body, but the heart is the heart of their child. And when God hears your heart, does he not hear the still beating heart of his son? Paul will say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And in this reading, we said, to live is Christ. How much of that truth is in us? God's Son's heart, in a sense, beat in us. He wants his purposes to be expressed through our lives. And he gives us all that we need to do just that. He gives us one another because we can't do it alone. He gives us close friends. More importantly, he gives us his Holy Spirit. So Paul is amazed that the gospel grows. But being amazed of, about God's grace and sovereignty doesn't dismiss the hurts and the challenges. And so in this passage, he speaks. It is true that some preaches Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter out of love, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but seeking to stir up trouble for me. So now we don't know very much what kind of people they were. We know they were Christians because they're preaching Christ. And they were, they, we know about their attitudes. They had envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. And they, make, they may, were making Paul's, heart, Paul's life hard. But while he doesn't dismiss the hurts and the challenges, he also doesn't let those obscure the bigger picture. And it's so difficult when we face challenges, hurts, difficulties, to let that obscure the bigger picture. He says for him, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Now, that might be different for your circumstances, your difficulties, but are there places, ways for you to rejoice despite the challenges? He asked a few questions to, for us to reflect, and that was helpful as we think about how could we 
maybe a lower guard, to open our eyes so that we can still see the bigger picture. Maybe a helpful question is, how has the faith of someone else spur you to trust God even in a difficult time? Maybe this week, make a list of the ways that God's grace has been sufficient for you. Yesterday, this week, last month, last year. And read it back, praising God, thanking Him. And look forward to what He can do and wants to do in your situation right now. Sometimes we try to fix our problems ourselves. We need to rest in the reality that God is with us. That he offers his help. And every time if we focus, focus on our problems, we need to remind ourselves to focus on him instead. For he is bigger than our problems and our fears. His name is powerful. He stands at the right hand of God, interceding for us and praying for us. Despite the challenges that Paul is facing, he says that he will continue to rejoice because he's also convinced not only that it will turn out for right, but he's convinced that through the prayers of his friends, faithful believers, and through the provisions of God, deliverance will take place what he says in the last paragraph. He expects God to give him the courage to be faithful. For him, it means that Christ will be glorified, will be made manifest, and he doesn't care whether it is through his life or through his death. He says to live is to express Christ, and to die is gain. For it is dying for the cause of Christ. It's not here about you know, self-harm or killing himself. It's about dying because of his faith and he's imprisoned and he might face death for that. For him, being condemned as a Christian will mean departing and being with Christ, which for him is far better. Now, we don't know much about life after this life, but we know that those who die in Christ will be with him. That's what Jesus promised on the person who was crucified when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in paradise. He says, tonight, today, at these very hours, you will be with me. That's the promise for all those who have died in Christ. They are now with Christ, which is far better. He is a, rest, a resting place. They're protected. They're cared for, waiting for that great day when all will be resurrected, will receive those new bodies. And it's interesting because he's in this passage a little bit fighting with himself. You know, I don't know what's best. If it was up to me, the best is I'm happy to die for Christ and to be with him. But I think I'll stay because using my body to continue to share God's grace, to continue to proclaim the gospel, to continue to encourage new Christians, maybe is far more important right now. So what kind of deliverance are you hoping for in the challenges that you are facing? 
Let me finish with those three questions and then we'll have a prayer and some um, time to just allow God to minister to you. First, will you allow God's grace and sovereignty to fill your mind and heart today and in the coming week like it filled Paul's mind and heart? And second, despite the challenges and the circumstances you are going through right now, Will you place your trust in the God who provides? But also, like Paul, share your concerns with others in prayers. You see, Paul was not afraid to say, I need the prayers. And the prayers will be part of my deliverance. Not only God's provision, but the prayers. And that's why we want to offer each Sunday prayer ministry. And that's the space for you to come to God and with others to bring those concerns, to bring our challenges, but also to bring our gratitude and our thanksgiving. So if God is saying something about that, do use after the service a prayer. So despite the challenges, understand, will you put your trust in God and share your concerns with others in prayer? And finally, will you allow God's grace to fill you, to guide you, to shape you, to embolden you so that others will be drawn to Jesus. Let's use this prayer to open ourselves to God this morning. Heavenly Father, Holy God, thank you so much for your gift of grace. That the day passes that I don't need more of you and more of your unending supply of grace. Remind me of you, your goodness over and over so that I may live in the fullness of your grace. And grant that I may be a trophy of your goodness in all I do every day so others will be compelled to see and accept your incomparable gift of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more Bible Bite podcasts, simply visit our website www.stjamestaunton.co.uk and click on resources. Thank you for listening and may God be with you today.